Thank you for tuning in to Jason DeMars Live. Every Tuesday and Friday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I teach on various biblical topics. Get in contact with me at jasondemars.com. Let me know what topics you would like me to cover in future videos. I have free books and tracks available for you to order and shipping is free as well. Make sure to subscribe and click the little bell to get notified when I post a new video. Good morning everyone. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching live. I want to continue on our topic looking at and answering uh, supposed Bible contradictions. And I believe uh, we should be able to get through our topic uh, today, finishing up the New Testament. And then we will continue on. We looked at justification by faith already. Um, we'll look at sanctification and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then continue to build from there. And another reminder, if you have any questions, prayer requests, or testimonies, please let me know. I'll be happy to answer them. If you have a question as you're watching, um, I get notified of almost all comments that come through on the software that I'm using. So go ahead and comment, and I will do my best to answer you in the moment. All right, so Jesus makes the statement, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So, and then he speaks of his resurrection. So, he was crucified on Friday during the daytime, and he rose again on Sunday morning. So, how do we have three days and three nights? So, people have, people have gone and said, well, he was actually on a different Sabbath, crucified on Thursday, and so then that counts for three days. But the reality is that in the Jewish mindset, they counted days differently than we do. So when we count a day, we go, okay, so three days from today, it's Tuesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But the Jews didn't count it that way. They started from if they said three days, they said Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, that's three days. That was the Jewish understanding. In Esther 4.16, Esther says to Mordecai, Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. So this was in preparation for her attempt to see the king. And two verses later, we read, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. So three days and three nights, we would have to put it, put it out and say it was the fourth day. But that's not, but they said it was the third day. So you can see three days and three nights still is counted at the third day. So that's Matthew 12, verse 40 we read earlier. 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then Matthew 28, 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Luke 24, 5 and 7, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hand, into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. If three days and three nights were counted the way we count them, then Jesus would have to rise on the fourth day. But by comparing these passages we just read, um, we can see that in the minds of people in the Bible days, the third day is equivalent to after three days. In fact, they, the way they counted um, a part of a day counted as the full day. So Jesus died on Friday. That was day one. Then there's Saturday, day two. Sunday, day three. That is how the Jewish understanding went. And they commonly, when they spoke of a day, they said day and night. Three days and three nights. So it shouldn't surprise us that a different culture uses a different method for counting days. Um, there's, there's other examples of this, different cultures counting things differently. In the United States, when we refer to the first floor, we're referring to the ground floor. When I go to Turkey and, I, and, I, and they tell me, your, your hotel room is on the first floor, I'm looking around the ground floor. I don't see any hotel rooms. It's all lobby, um, places, places to eat, a place to eat breakfast, um, meeting rooms, bathrooms, etc. There's no, I don't see any rooms on the first floor. But then I go to the elevator and I see first floor is zero. Second floor is one. Third floor is two. Different cultures will count it differently, the same way the Jewish culture counted different ways of looking at what a full day is. It's no contradiction that Jesus was crucified Friday, raised from the dead Sunday. That's not two days. In the Jewish reckoning, it's three days. All right. So, James 2, verse 25 says, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So, the people alleging contradictions say Rahab was praised for lying and when lying is forbidden in the Ten Commandments. So, let's look at it. Rahab received Joshua, the son of Nun. Oh, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. 
So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So Rahab received them and lodged them. After she hid them, she sent them off. Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there, hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, do you may go your way. This was a different direction from, from where she sent the spies' pursuers. She told them, go this they went this way, she sent them this way, and they went that way. So she told a lie to the pursuers. But notice in James, he doesn't, he doesn't praise her for lying. He praises her for receiving them and sending them out. All right? That's not a contradiction now. We're not, we're not to lie. We shouldn't tell lies we shouldn't tell things that are not true. We should always speak the truth. But think of, think of Rahab. She didn't have the Ten Commandments. She just knew God is working on behalf of these Jewish people. He's, this God that is with the Jews is more powerful than the other gods. I will commit myself to his safe keeping. A harlot and a pagan Canaanite has be now become a daughter of Zion by her faith that Jehovah is the supreme God and he's with the Jews. She didn't know anything about lying or basically anything else. So this is not commending lying at all. It's commending receiving the spies and sending them out safe. Amen. How did Judas die? In Matthew 27, verse 5, it says, He hung himself. And Acts 1.8 says, He fell and burst open in the middle, and his uh, entrails gushed out. So people say, it's a contradiction. The Bible doesn't even know how Judas died. No, it's not a contradiction. Um, if I was watching and I saw a car come across the street, hit a pedestrian and kill him, I could say, I could report, a car hit a pedestrian and they died. But then the coroner could come out and look at it and say, it looks like there's massive head trauma and uh, they, they bled out completely causing death. Is it a contradiction? I said a car, they died by getting hit, a car, hit by a car. The coroner says they died from head trauma. Matthew tells us Judas died from hanging. Death is inferred in the passage. But Luke, writing the book of Acts, gives a, a description of what occurred after the hanging. So let's, let's look at it this way. Judas fell and his stomach burst open and his stomach and intestines fell out of him. Now, when, when someone is even uh, stabbed in the stomach, they're, they're, the skin is tough and everything is tough around that. Um, 
your entrails are not going to fall out when you even if you fell uh, if you fell on a branch or a stick or um, something sharp your entrails are not going to fall out but uh, I know this is graphic but Judas hung himself his body hung there in in the hot sun and as time went on, as what, what happens is the bacteria and things that are in your gut that help you digest your food, eventually they start to digest. When you die, they start to digest you. And this builds up gases, and this causes the stomach to swell. Okay? The stomach swells. Somehow Judas, the branch breaks, or... Some, uh, the, 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 the rope breaks, he falls down, and because there's great pressure from gas, gases from the bacteria starting to consume his insides, as he hits and the skin is weakened, his, he bursts and his entrails come out. It's not a contradiction, it's just looking at it from two different angles. Next, let me greet those listening in. Brother Yashar, God bless you. Sister Sarah from Edmonton, God bless you. Sister Chantel, God bless you as well. Brother Isil from Pakistan, God bless you. Um, not sure this person's real name, but Godly from Liberia, requesting uh, financial help in prayer. We will certainly be in prayer, but we don't just um, hand out money this way. Um, but we will certainly be in prayer for you. Anyone else listening in, please send your greetings. We want to greet you personally. So the unfor unforgivable sin. Is the unforgivable sin forgivable? Strange question, but let's look at it this way. Um, Jesus says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Another place he says, He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Another place he says, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Another place, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts 13.39 says, Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. So, how can all sins be forgiven? And then, there's a specific sin that can't be forgiven. Well, Let's go through this process. Blaspheming against 
the Holy Spirit. What is it? What is it? Why is it an unforgivable sin? And then why does Acts, Titus, and John seem to tell us any sin can be forgiven? So let's look, on, let's look at an example. The Apostle Paul. Before he was an apostle, the Apostle Paul, he was Saul the Pharisee persecuting Christians. Persecuting Jesus. When Jesus appears to him, he says, you're persecuting me. Paul refers to himself as a blasphemer. And yet Paul was pursued by Jesus and forgiven for his blasphemy. So, how can Paul, how can Jesus say it will never be for, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven? And yet, on the other hand, Paul is forgiven for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, it's, it, it's another one of those scriptures where it's looking at it from which perspective. Anyone who repents of their sin can be forgiven. The only unforgivable sin is blasphemy, continued and constant blasphemy and resistance against the Holy Spirit. If you continually resist the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with man. A person could utter a word of blasphemy, but then when confronted by the word of God, again, if he responds with repentance, he will receive forgiveness for any sin. So the perspective is this. The un unpardonable sin is committed by non-elect unbelievers. Forgivable sins, all sins that are forgiven, are committed by the elect, elected believer. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness for all sins. Paul received forgiveness for blasphemy. Why? Because he repented, turned away from his sin, and believed. If you con continue and persist in resistance and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you will be eternally lost. There's one, there's, look at it this way, there's only one real sin that can't be forgiven, unbelief. If you believe, you can be forgiven. If you don't believe, you can never be forgiven of any sins. And drinking, smoking, adultery, blasphemy are just what? They're just attributes of unbelief. Yes, all transgression against the law is sin. And there's different sins. But truly, what produces those sins is unbelief. If you believed and were born again, you wouldn't commit those sins. You'd be delivered from a continual, constant, habitual, sinful lifestyle.
And so, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's unbelief in the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a contradiction. You can be forgiven every sin if you believe, if you're a believer. If you, if you continue and persist in unbelief, you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost and you cannot be forgiven in this life or in the life to come. All right, John chapter 1 and Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in the beginning was, in John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. If you look at this, say, how can it be a firstborn creator? Well, simple. Before creation, in, in all eternity, there was only God. He hadn't spoken yet. The Word hadn't gone out from God yet. He was... The Word was in God as a thought, as a plan. Then just prior to creation, God put forth in the form of birth His own Word. That Word became the body, the supernatural light through which that invisible God is revealed. So when it's speaking of firstborn, there's two aspects looking at it. It's looking at it from the aspect that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is the first one resurrected from the dead. Secondarily, before creation, God put forth His Word. The Word is eternal in God as a thought. But it's only a thought. It's not expressed. Just prior to creation, He, he put forth His Word. And through His Word, He created everything. That Word was eternally in God, but just as a thought. Logos, or word, means a thought expressed. It's both parts of it, thought, expression. First, for all eternity, it was a thought. Then, just before creation, it becomes a word. That word is a body, a theophany, that God reveals himself through. It's not a contradiction. It's a beautiful truth and reality. Can man be held accountable for his sinful actions and yet have Christ act as a substitute for sins? How do we have in the Old Testament where if a man takes someone's life, he should be executed? And here in the New Testament, you can be forgiven for every sin. Strange. How does that work? Well, it's two different directions you're looking at it. It's not a contradiction. You can, a person can, can commit murder, 
go to prison, and in prison repent of their sin, and God forgives them by the blood of Christ, and they'll go to heaven, but they could still be executed by the U.S. government for committing murder. So on the one hand, the government doesn't have such a thing as forgiveness through the blood of Christ, but the eternal God and Creator does have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's two different, two different directions. Under in Israel, they had their uh, their law for their country, and yet then they had a religious law that said there's a sacrifice for sins. But even so, in the older the Old Testament. Adultery, things like adultery, things like murder, didn't even have a sacrifice for sin. But in the, in the New Testament, we find God, and, and God just forgave. David committed adultery and murdered, and God, because of his repentance, forgive, forgave his sins. Civil authority has the right to punish those who break the law. That's a part and a separate from God's authority to forgive sins and grant people eternal life in heaven. So when it comes to supposed Bible contradictions, we find and we look clearly and see, well, God is able to answer all these supposed contradictions. It isn't, it isn't that we know, I know all the answers or Someone knows all the answers, but simply that there are answers. And the question is, um, to the unbeliever, will you receive the answer? I know there's more, there's many more that we could cover and look into, um, and we may do that in the future, but I think it's time to continue on with our subject of foundations. I want to look at the new birth. I want to look at... Um, prayer, I want to look at uh, the three ordinances that we have in the New Testament. So with that said, may the Lord richly bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you on Friday.